Before I begin, I have to say, um, Jimmy Hodge, it's, it's good you're sitting in the back today instead of your normal seat up here. If you've noticed, he's wearing an orange tee on his shirt today. Um, I guess he figures he might get tomatoes thrown at him or something if he sat up in his normal seat. And of course, my wife back there is pulling for that same team too, so please make sure you hit Jimmy and not Beth though, okay? Because there's a football or basketball game today, right? It's just basketball, it's not football. Anyway, um, today is the fourth Sunday in the season of Lent. Um, in these past four Sundays, um, or past three Sundays of Lent, it, I've had to do some heavy lifting. There's been some pretty hard text that I've had to wrestle with and then try to say something to you about it. That first Sunday was the Sunday when uh, it said that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness, obviously a place that Jesus was not all excited about going to, out into a place of the wilderness, a place of, of uh, scary, of um, the unknown, uncertain future, where he would be tempted for 40 days. And of course, we are also called into times of wilderness, where we too are tempted. Hard stuff. And then the next week, we had this back and forth between Jesus and Peter. Peter at first rebukes Jesus. Then Jesus turns around and rebukes Peter. And then Jesus talks about what it means to be the Messiah. And then he talks about, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. That's hard stuff. Last week, I tried to wrestle with Paul in his uh, book to the first, the first book to the church at Corinth. When he talks about the message of the cross is foolishness. And how the cross indeed is a foolish way to live. All it will do is get you killed. That was hard. That one was real hard. Well then, this week I was reminded of something that I would forgotten. On this day, the fourth Sunday of, of Lent, in some traditions it's called... Latterday Sunday, which is Latin for rejoice. And that word rejoice, it comes from uh, two psalms that are read at the very beginning of the Catholic Mass. One is from Isaiah 66, which it says, Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. And the other is Psalm 122, and it says, I rejoiced when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Today in the midst of Lent is Rejoice Sunday. Some call it Refreshment Sunday, which that sounds nice. We should pass around donuts or something. But Refreshment Sunday was for those who might be fasting during this season of Lent, and it was a day where they could take a break from their fasting and to refresh themselves before taking up the fasting again until Holy Week is over. Well, I'm just glad that today is Rejoice Sunday so I can set aside some of the hard stuff so we can focus on something that I think all of us at least have heard of if we don't know already. When Lakin was reading that text this morning, I bet there was one verse in particular that most all of us either know it or at least have some familiarity with it, and that is John 3.16. Now here's what I want us to do. It's going to be a time where you're supposed to speak up too. So church, let the Girl Scouts know that y'all can speak up too, okay? We're going to, I'm going to start it, and then let's say that verse. Whatever translation you want. If you want to do the King James with all the ifs and all that stuff, you go ahead. If you want to do it in another version, you do it that way. Okay, ready? 
For God so loved I got the eternal and everlasting life all in there. We got them all. We know that verse, don't we? Martin Luther said that John 3.16 is, is kind of uh, the gospel in a nutshell. Or the gospel in miniature. The good news of God's love in a short verse. And indeed it is. And I want to look at that text today. For God so loved. Now some want to say, to translate it as, God loved so much, God loved us so much, but that's really not the translation there. It's God loved in this way. But really the focus is on, for God loved. God did the loving. Before there was any opportunity for anything or anyone to respond God loved. And why did God love? Because God loves. That is who God is. That is what God does. God loves. Our elders are reading a book by Henry Nouwen, and Henry Nouwen describes that love as the first love. It's a love that is, is always true, is always there. It precedes anything else that any of us might do. God loves. Now also as I was poking around this week, I was reminded of something else. I forget things a lot. So I'm glad when I can remind myself of stuff. And this is one that I did several years ago, but I'd forgotten about it. So I'm betting that y'all forgot about it too. So we're going to do it. My favorite word for how to describe God's love is a word in the Old Testament. And this is a reminder that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the God of the New Testament. Sometimes we want to say God in the Old Testament is the mean, harsh, judgmental God. The God of the New Testament is the God of love. Same God, same God of love. Okay? The word is chesed. Okay? Chesed. Kind of like K-E with a little slur on the S. Say that part, would you? And then there's a... a an uh, unstressed syllable after that, ed, chesed. Can you say that? Okay, now you got to do better than that. Chesed, okay? That word means uh, steadfast love or loving kindness. It's, it's the example of what I just said about God's love. God, it is, it's only used about God's love. It's not used in the scripture about our response to God's love because that is always secondary. That's the second love. It's not the first love. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. And we're going to go through some of those now. And here's what we're going to do. Ben's going to put it on the screen. And I'm going to read. And when it gets to a blank, you're going to say chesed. Okay? You can leave today and tell your friends you learned a Hebrew word today. Okay? Chesed. Okay? Everybody ready? Now, how many of these I read depends on how well you respond. There's 250 of them. <laughs> Psalm 107.1, which we read this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His yes. endures forever. Psalm 6.4, turn, O Lord, save my life, deliver me for the sake of your... Yes. It's chesed, okay? 
kind of like, I won't say like you're spitting a loogie. Don't, I won't say that in church. It's kind of like that. Chesed, okay? Psalm 23, 6. Maybe you're familiar with this one. Surely goodness and shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 33, 22. Let your... O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Psalm 36. Your, O Lord, extends to the heavens your faithfulness to the clouds. Okay, that's good. You don't have to do all 250 of them this morning. We'll do more next week maybe, okay? God's love, God's chesed is what drives everything. For God loved. God loved the world. God loved all of God's creation. God did not love parts of creation and not love other parts. God did not love one part more than another part. God loved all of creation, all the world, all people, everyone. God does not love some more than God loves others. God loves all. Why? Because all people are God's love children. God loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His only. Uh, the, the Greek word is monogenes. Mono, which means one, and genes is kind, one of a kind. Okay? Jesus is one of a kind son. What does it mean that God gave this son? Well, obviously, it's a gift. It's a gift given from God. Why did God give this gift? Well, God gave this gift because God is God. And God loves. And God loves to give gifts, and that's why God gives. What does it mean that he gave? Now, some want to say that the focus is on Jesus' death. That he gave his son to die. No, I think he gave his son to show us what life is all about. To show us what love is all about. The son that he gave is this chesed made flesh. It is God made incarnate to, to be among us and to teach and to be around and to, to point out things and to lift up those who have been brought down and to bring down those who think they are so great. That way of love that God sent got Jesus killed. And yet, three days later, we proclaim the victory of that way of love in the resurrection. That's what God gave. God gave His Son so that everyone that believes in Him may not perish but have eternal life. I mentioned earlier that Martin Luther called this the gospel in miniature. The gospel, the good news of God's love for all people. The gospel in miniature. And it is indeed that until, of course, we get a hold of it and we make it anything but God's good news. Because what we like to do, we the church I mean, is we like to define what that means. That whoever believes. What does that mean? Now here's how we often take it. That, okay, that you have to have some intellectual assent about who Jesus is. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, there, you've got that. Now you're in. 
the intellectual assent, the, the agreement. We have to have some kind of a um, test that we take to prove that we believe correctly. I looked up on the internet John, 16, John 3.16 church to see if there was a John 3.16 church out there. And I found one. I think there was probably a bunch of them. And what was interesting, when I went to their website, and I don't know where the church was. I hope it's not around here and I hope none of y'all go to church there. Well, maybe. I hope you do. Um, and then it's their belief. You know, you go to the website and it says what we believe. And all these different things that they have to believe. And, and I'm not saying that's bad. But what it's doing is it's writing up what you have to believe, you have to intellectually agree to, that's what belief is. And what happens is that we want to define what that means. Do you believe enough? If you believe enough, you're in. If you don't believe enough, well, then you're out. And we owe what's going to happen to those who are out. In other words, what's happened is we take this gospel, this good news in miniature, and we define what it means when all along it is about God who loves and God who gives, and how dare we be the one to decide. Now I think a better way to see that word believe, belief, is to see it in the sense of trust. Sense of loyalty. I give my loyalty. That's what belief means. I put my trust in. It's about relationship. And what do you do in any relationship? You don't just have some intellectual agreement. A relationship is about giving of ourselves. Uh, giving up of ourselves for the, for the other person or the other one that's in this relationship. It's about taking risk. It's about being vulnerable because you're not in control. That's what belief means. To believe in Christ is to trust in Christ and to enter into a relationship with Christ. Committing our whole selves to Christ. And then those who believe in Him won't perish, but they'll have Eternal life. Eternal, that means uh, without end, uh, without beginning, without end, lasting all time. What is eternal life? Now, of course, some will say it's going to heaven. That's traditionally how it's said. But I think when Jesus talks of eternal life, Jesus is talking not just about the life after this life, but life right now. It's about life lived in relationship with God and with others in the right here and now in life. I read this this week. I think it was written by Catherine of Siena, who was a, a saint from a long time ago. She said this, All the way to heaven is heaven. You hear that? All the way to heaven is heaven. What I think she means by that is that we don't live as Christians just so we might go to heaven. We live as if heaven is here, right here and now. And living in that life is heaven itself. What is heaven about? Heaven is about where God reigns supreme. Where the rule of God is at hand. Where we love God with all we got. And we love others. We love all others even as we love ourselves all the way to heaven. 
is that heaven. That means loving all. Now I want to take a couple of examples of who that all was just from our, around our text here. In this text that, that Lakin read, it kind of comes in the later end of a conversation that had been started earlier in that chapter. It was a man named Nicodemus. A man named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. The reason why he came at night is because he was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious leaders. It says he was the leader of the Jews. He was a very important man, a very educated man, and he was a man. He must have been very esteemed in that society. That's why he had to, had to sneak to come see Jesus. And then Jesus confused him totally when Jesus said, well, you must be born anew or born again. And that really threw Nicodemus, and he just was confused and didn't know what to say. Jesus met with this man. And then right after this story that we've read, when we turn to the next chapter, it said that Jesus was going to have to leave, and he was, I think he was heading to Jerusalem, and it said that he, was going to, he had to go through Samaria. Now, no he didn't. The text says that he had to go through Samaria, but he, no he didn't. If you were any religious person of that day, you would avoid Samaria. Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other for a long history of time. Ethical, I mean, uh, well, just lots of things. And so very often, instead of going through Samaria, which was like right here, and Galilee would be like right here, and then Judea would be like right down here, like my map, and that's if they were going to go to Jerusalem down here, and there's Samaria, nobody would go straight through. They would go around. Because you don't want to be around Samaritans because they were unclean. They were unholy. They were people you should not be around. And yet it says in the text that Jesus had to go through there. No, he didn't. He should have gone around just like everybody else would have. But he went straight through. And as he went through, he was thirsty, so he went and sat down by this well and this woman comes up, and she's, we never know her name, and she comes up, and Jesus asks for water, and she really doesn't understand why a Jew would talk to her, because she's a Samaritan woman. And then as they talk, we find out that this woman had been abused, she'd been married several times, and then basically tossed out in the trash. And yet here Jesus is talking with this woman. And by the end of that story, it says that many people in that town believed Jesus because of her. So in other words, just in these two stories, Jesus is with the elites and Jesus is with the outcast, the hated, the marginalized, the unchurched, the non-religious, the bad. What does it mean to, to follow in the way of this Jesus? It means to believe. It means to trust. That's what we're called to do. And I want to quit now. But first I want us to say that text again. For God so loved the, that...
And may that eternal life begin now and last until forever. Thanks be to God. Now let us stand and sing our hymn of invitation, How Great Thou Art. gather at this table to partake of the gift that God gave us. We get to take this gift with the knowledge of after this meal, three days later, Jesus was going to rise. The people partaking of this gift at that time didn't have that luxury of knowing that. So we are truly blessed that this gift was given. We just need to understand the meaning of it the depth of it and what it means to us and the heartbreak that God must have felt to give that gift for us. For on that night, they gathered at the table. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he passed it among the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after dinner, he took the cup he blessed it and passed it. Said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, given for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this also in remembrance of me. We are truly blessed to be able to take this gift and accept it, and it's on us to share that with all others who desire.
Lord, we come to this table this morning realizing that you made the greatest sacrifice of all to prepare this table for us. And as we gather around it today, let us remember that we owe you the praise and the glory for providing this table for us. For so many times, Lord, we forget. We seem to be prone to forgetting so much that you've done for us. But let this bring us closer together today as we partake of these emblems, as we share this cup and share this bread, that we know that we will have life and have it everlasting if we only believe. And we believe that very verse is a mainstay in our lives today as we partake of these emblems. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.